Hi, this is David Flower, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This is the conclusion to our six-part series, our fall series, We Are Disciples, as you heard Pastor Melissa saying just a moment ago. You know, the words that we use, they're important. They're important in conversation and relationship. They're, they're important for the mission, the vision, and the direction of a church. Um, words are important when it comes to relationships, one-to-one, as I said, but also uh, in community. I was, uh, recently had heard that the Brethren in Christ U.S., our denomination, some years ago had been in conversation and supporting and helping the Brethren in Christ in Japan. And uh, they thought that they had arrived at a point where the BIC in Japan didn't need so much of our help. And they had a conversation and um, to say, this is what we're proposing. We're going to pull away a little bit and, and not support you as much. And we feel like you can sustain yourselves. And the response back, they heard, that is in the BIC US heard, was yes. As in, that sounds good to us, right? That's what we would think by yes. But what, what they were saying was, yes, we hear you didn't mean that they agreed with that, and that that caused some, some problems uh, moving forward. So language is important. Understanding what we're saying, what we mean by what we say when we're talking to each other in relationship, and certainly when it comes to organizations and institutions and uh, the church. Language creates culture, which is why we try to use a common vernacular here at Grantham Church. We say that we're intergenerational, that we're convergent, that we're third way, that we're embracing this centered set church approach. All of that, all of those things and so much more is language that is intended to create culture. At some point before the year is up, we actually intend to create a, a page on the website that's sort of a glossary for, uh, the, the, you know, containing the words that we use so that when people have questions, they can, what, what do you mean by that? Folks, we don't all mean the same thing when we say gospel. <laughs> Have you noticed? Or what we mean when we say kingdom, much less, you know, convergent and third way and, 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 and that matter. So, so what we've been doing in this series is trying to define what we mean by disciple and discipleship, and that's what we've been addressing and unpacking with our definition. Here it is again. It reads this way. Disciples are people in community who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, are growing to love, follow, and lead others to the God who looks like Jesus. And each week in this series, we've been taking a phrase at a time and unpacking that. Uh, we skipped over one phrase early in the series. It's the M dash. Did you know that that's what that's called? If I knew that, I had forgotten. Yeah, but that's what that is, the M dash. And not because it begins with empowered, but the, anyways, empowered by the Spirit. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, as we sing, you are welcome here. 
would you speak to our hearts? Lord, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Holy Spirit, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Lord, we know we love you, we trust you because you've been revealed in Jesus. We know your intentions are good. Your heart toward us is good. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, you don't want to guilt us or, or shame us. You want to transform us. Help us to remember that this morning as we wrap up this series, as we think about the Holy Spirit and our need for the Holy Spirit. Help us to self-reflect. Help us to be honest about that self-reflection. And Lord, help us as we hear your voice to respond in obedience. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John? John chapter 14. You can see the Scripture passage on the screen there. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. John chapter 14. Four verses, 15 through 18. And as you're turning there, would you stand with me? We honor the reading of the words of Jesus. John 14, verse 15 through 18, Jesus said, If you love me, obey my commandments. And then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This past Thursday, I was at a denominational a conference event in Carlisle at a retreat center, gathering of, of a lot of pastors and leaders to talk about what is a disciple. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> what is discipleship? And how are we uh, making disciples at our church? What are the, they call them, pathways in our congregations of making uh, disciples? And later on, at the end of the day in this conference, we broke up into um, to smaller groups, and there was an Indian pastor there with us who had, he and his congregation had just left the Methodist church, were thinking of joining the Brethren in Christ and sort of come to check it out and to listen, to learn. And he, so he had observed the whole day, and in our conversations, I don't remember what the question was to prompt us to speak, but when it got to him and he shared, he really shared a prophetic word, I would say even a prophetic critique of the church in the West. Because as he had listened, and he had observed and heard us talking about programs and strategies and all of that, which can be good. What he heard was lacking was talk of the Holy Spirit, right? 
he talked about the differences between Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity, and particularly the church in America. A lot of pastors had shared their discouragement about the lack of giving in their congregations, the lack of engagement, the lack of volunteers, that people had left and not come back since the pandemic. You've heard this story. That we have these big buildings, but they're mostly empty, a lot of them said. And he said, we don't have that problem in India and a lot of other places in the world, especially in the East. We don't have enough room for people. They're hanging in the trees, listening outside to what's going on. He said, our, our challenge over there is persecution. Your challenge here is seduction. You've been seduced by the powers. You've been seduced by Western thinking, and you're missing the Holy Spirit. When I heard him say that, it made me remember, and I've probably shared this with you before, um, someone who had a great impact on me over a decade ago, Watchman Nee. Some of you heard of this Chinese Christian leader. I think it was in one of his books where he told a story of a Chinese missionary that came over to the United States, did some work, returned back to China, you know, where there's an underground house church movement. And they asked him, Pastor, what impressed you most about the church in America? And this was his answer. What they can do without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not meant as a compliment. <laughs> Let's think together this morning about who the Holy Spirit is and the purpose and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a disciple. If we're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, which enables us to follow the commands of Jesus, we need to give attention to this. So let's go back now and let's read the words of Jesus more carefully. And I have them on the screen for you in the red letters. Verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Notice Jesus holds our profession together with obedience. So that stated belief with action that follows. Truth claims together with holiness and discipleship. And then in verse 16, he said, I, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. The word there for advocate, which I have highlighted, you, your translation of the NIV, I think, says counselor, um, comforter. The Greek word is parakletos or paraclete. Some of you have heard of that. It's two Greek words brought together that means come alongside and to call. So this is a helper sent by God to come alongside us, to empower us, to fill us, to help us to carry out the teachings of Jesus. Jesus later will say, this spirit will remind you of what I have said. This spirit will give you words when you feel you don't have any. This spirit will comfort you when you're down and anxious and depressed. This spirit will help you to overcome human obstacles. It's supernatural power. And so when you profess love for the Lord and you seek to obey his teachings, listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying you will be given an advocate, a helper to come alongside, to assist, to work on your behalf. The Spirit is always with you. Of course, the Chinese missionary would say to us that we sometimes live, and so do the Indian pastor was saying, 
we live as if this spirit isn't even a real thing. But we, we want to do that. We need to do that as disciples of Jesus. It's the only way to follow Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus said he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him. Why? Because it isn't looking for him. And remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You know, the, the Spirit of God is the, that ruach, uh, that Hebrew word in the Old Testament, hovering over the waters. It's like the wind which comes and goes. You don't see where it comes from. You don't see where it's going. So it is with this mysterious Holy Spirit. But it is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus with us, with us. And the Holy Spirit in Old Testament times was only given to certain individuals. If you know your Bible, this should sound familiar to you. The Holy Spirit was given to prophets for a time. The Holy Spirit was given to kings for a time. You remember when King David sinned with Bathsheba, put her husband on the front lines to be killed, thinking nobody would see what he's done, discover that he had committed adultery. And when he's found out, the prophet comes to him, Nathan, and tells him, tells him a little story, <laughs> tells him, I know, God knows what you've done. And immediately David repents. And one of the things that David prays, and you can read this in Psalm 51, a classic psalm of David in repenting, he calls out for God not to withdraw his spirit. Because that's what God did in the Old Testament. When you were walking in faithful obedience to God, the Spirit would remain with you. When you didn't, He would withdraw His Spirit. But again, this only happened with certain individuals. But Jesus is saying that every person who professes faith in Him commits to following the Jesus way, to love Him, to be loved by God, to follow His commandments, is given this Spirit permanently to come and dwell with you. This is the new covenant. This is the age of grace. And so Jesus says the Spirit will be given in a new way to all disciples. His presence is mysterious, it's unseen, but it is felt among his disciples. Verse 18, and Jesus says, these are wonderful words, no, why don't we say no? Right, his disciples hear him talking about leaving. I've got to go away. Where I'm going, you can't come. Sounds like abandonment. You ever felt abandoned? You ever felt abandoned by the Lord? Jesus is saying, I am not going to abandon you. I will not leave you. I'm not going to leave you like orphans, like children without parents. I'm not going to do it. Jesus doesn't leave us like children with no parents. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Who is the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> other, other religions will scoff um, at this doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Why don't we believe in it? Because it seems kind of confusing. All the analogies that we try to use, they don't really work <laughs> very well to try to explain this one God, three persons. Well, first we should say that we believe it, and we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We baptize the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And in that order, and with those titles, because that's what Jesus taught us. This is how Jesus revealed God to us. He prayed to the Father. He referred to himself as the Son, who is, by the way, the only way to the Father. 
And before he left, he said to his disciples he would not abandon them. He would send the Holy Spirit. Uh, One way you might think of this is God is love, right? You see on the image. We say that, don't we? God is love. Not God is loving, which he is that. But this New Testament says specifically God is love. Not love is God. God is love. How do, what, what does that mean? Well, think about it. In order to have love, you have to have a lover. You have to have a beloved, someone who receives the love, and the love that is shared between them. Uh, one Catholic uh, theologian uh, put it that way, that God is love. It actually necessitates a multiplicity of persons. After all, God wasn't lonely before he created the universe, and how many universes he did create, we don't know. He wasn't lonely. He is within himself community. And every person, Father, Son, and Spirit, has a function. There is a lover, there's a beloved, there's the love that's shared between them, and divine, perfect harmony and community. Three persons functioning as one essence, one actuality, one being. That's how harmonious and perfect unity exists within the Godhead, and each having a function. The Father, one, one uh, Protestant theologian put it this way, Stanley Grins, he said, the Father is the originator, so it all begins with the Father. Remember, Jesus said when asked about when he would come back, and many of us are thinking about that these days, when's, God, when's the return of Jesus? Jesus said, I don't know. Who knows? Only the Father knows. It begins with the Father. The Father is the originator. The Son is the revealer. This is why we say we follow the God who what? Looks like Jesus. Jesus reveals what God is really like. Jesus is the revealer. And then the Spirit is the completer. Just as the Spirit in the Old Testament, the Ruach, was hovering over the waters and the earth of creation, involved in the creative process, And just as the Spirit went out, went forth on Pentecost, filling the church and going across Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the Spirit is the completer. But God in this new covenant, right, wants to partner with us, fill us, that we would be His creative agents. We were in Christ. We, are, we have been before uh, the creation of the world, predestined to do good works, Paul said. You remember that passage? In Romans, the Greek word there is poema. We are God's poem. We are God's work of art. We are God's agents of new creation. We are, Paul will say to the Corinthians, our bodies themselves are temples of the Holy Spirit. We're walking temples. We're walking images of God, filled with the Spirit of God. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. And what about the New Testament specifically? What does it say about the Holy Spirit? Well, as we read in John 14 there, Jesus spoke about the coming of the Spirit, the Helper. In Acts 2, as I was just mentioning, the Lord sends the Holy Spirit after His ascension into heaven that is, he, after he's, you know, uh, ascended to, to sit on the throne, recognized as deity, he sends the Spirit to each disciple that we, 
The Spirit could be present with every disciple. Do you get that? Like when Jesus, he's saying, is physically present, well, he can only be in one place with a certain number of people. But he says, if I go away, I will send the advocate, the counselor, the parakletos, the one who comes alongside to help you, and not just with some of you, with all of you. Not just with those who think they're righteous, (laughs) who seem to be doing pretty well, but all of you who are stumbling forward in Jesus. Amen. So let's consider the role of the Holy Spirit. Here are a few things the New Testament teaches us about how the Spirit empowers us to live as disciples. The Holy Spirit, the Scriptures say, convicts us of sin. If we're listening to the Holy Spirit, um, in consulting with the Holy Spirit, I've been discerning, the Spirit will speak to us. I heard another story once. A couple had been visited by a missionary, had never heard the gospel, didn't know anything about the scriptures. Um, they had an encounter with Christ through this missionary. They were given a Bible. As I said, they weren't familiar with it. Well, one of the things the missionary was sure to do because he knew he had to leave and there weren't any other, apparently other Christians or churches nearby, was to teach them how to listen and lean on the Holy Spirit. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit will convict us of sin and tell us what's right and what's wrong. One night they were getting together to sit down at the table, and one of the customs uh, that they had was drinking too much at mealtime. And as they sat down to eat and to drink as new Christians, they felt a heaviness there with them in the room. Like something was out of place, something wasn't right, and they couldn't drink their wine. One spouse said to the other, go get the book. Maybe the book says something about our practice around the table. And sure enough, they find where it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with drunkenness. They listened to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can convict us of sin if we're listening for the Spirit. The Spirit also changes hearts and desires, right? We're not just brains on a stick. It's not just about absorbing the right information or learning some strategies. It's about having our hearts changed. Until our heart is changed by the Spirit of God, we cannot change. And I'm I'm willing to bet that many of you in this room could testify to that. I've experienced that. I've tried really hard. I've tried programs. I've tried strategies. None of it seems to work. Have you called upon the Holy Spirit? Have you trusted in the power that is greater than yourself that would enable you to change? The Holy Spirit gives us words, gives us wisdom, gives us courage. I have scriptures for all of these. Uh, The Holy Spirit dwells and fills us the Scripture say, says, with the presence, the very presence of Jesus, the Spirit protects, reminds, guides, and comforts us in our time of need. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Paul says when we don't even know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes and gives us words. This is the power of the Spirit. The Spirit equips us with gifts to grow the church. The Holy Spirit reveals those gifts. 
reveals the way in which we can help the body of Christ and grow into those. And lastly there, the Holy Spirit leads us into truth and enables holy living. Have you received this Spirit? Are you aware of the parakletos that comes alongside to help you? The very presence of Jesus. And the truth is that we can, we can, it's possible to live the Christian life, to come to church, to be involved in activities and programs, much in the same way Pharisees followed the law, but not actually have the Spirit. You say, how do we know? Well, if you truly have the Spirit, you will reveal the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says that we need to recognize there is an eternal, internal war between the flesh and the Spirit that lives within us as disciples of Jesus. If you would, open to Galatians now, chapter 5. Our last Scripture reading I'll have you open up to, Galatians chapter 5. Begin in verse 13. Once again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm just going to walk us through this real quick, verse by verse. Listen to what Paul is saying to the Galatian church who had been visited by Judaizers, these folks that called Gentiles to follow the law. And Paul would have seen this as them being oppressed by this message. This isn't the gospel of grace that he taught, the gospel of the Spirit that he taught. He taught them to live free in Christ, not to be burdened and shackled down with human rules and philosophies and strategies, but to live by the Spirit. And so listen to what he says in verse 13. He says, for you've been called to live in freedom, brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature or your flesh. We're free, but listen to what he's saying. True freedom leads to obedience. We think of freedom getting to just do whatever we want, but he says true freedom. And and by the way, one day when we're fully sanctified and glorified in Christ, when he returns, everything about us will, will be transformed into the very will of Jesus. That is true freedom. That is true freedom, to be able to choose holiness every single time. So say, don't use your freedom to just do what you want, what feels good, satisfy your flesh. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. How often? Everything in the New Testament comes back to this. Jesus said, the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, I give you another commandment. Love others as I have loved you. That's true freedom. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. Serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in it. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. He says that's not in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your flesh craves. You see, the sinful nature of the flesh, it wants to do evil. 
which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Do you hear the internal war? There's a war within us of what we want in our flesh and what the Spirit wants, so we have to feed, we have to yield to the Spirit. Verse 17, the flesh wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. All the Spirit gives us, gives us desires that are opposite of what the flesh desires. These two forces are constantly fighting with each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. That internal uh, war he's speaking of, he also talked about in Romans 7. You remember that? He says, I do the things that I don't want to do. Or uh, the things I want to do, I don't do. What is going on? You ever experienced that as a Christian? (laughs) What is happening? It's an internal war within. Flesh versus the Spirit. You cannot follow Jesus and continue to give in to the flesh. We have to learn the way of the Spirit. We have to yield to the Spirit to experience the freedom that Paul is talking about here. He said, when you follow the desires, verse 19, when you follow the desires of your flesh, the results are very clear. And then Paul gives sort of this vice list, which he does in several of his epistles, the vices and virtues. He says, here is what the fruit of the flesh looks like. Sexual morality. That's, uh, I think the word there is pornaya, which can encompass all sorts of sexual deviations. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, or that one you can possibly change like that, witchcraft, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Don't have any of that going on. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's evidence of the flesh. That's evidence when you're yielding to the flesh and your own earthly desires. But here's the evidence that you're yielding to the Spirit. Verse 22, Paul says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Why don't you say these with me? Love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is evidence that the Spirit is at work in you when you're producing these things, love, joy, and peace, and patience, and so forth. Paul says there is no law against these things. The law has nothing on this. When you are governed by the Holy Spirit, you don't need laws. When when you're filled with the presence of Jesus, you are truly free. Not free to do evil, but free to follow Him, to be everything that God has created you to be. To throw off that which binds you, the addictions, the trauma, the pain, the anxiety, Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit enables us to overcome. Amen? And this is for everybody. 
Lastly, he said in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passion and desires of their flesh to his cross, and he's crucified them there. Imagine yourself at the cross of Jesus, at the crucifixion of our Lord. Just close your eyes. See if you can get that picture. You're standing at the foot of the cross. Can you see your Lord being crucified for your sins? This isn't meant to guilt you and to shame you, but to set you free. Look at Christ on the cross and see the Lord who took all of your sins away so that you're no longer slaves. Slaves to sin in the flesh, but now you are servants of righteousness. Just thank the Lord right now. Just thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. Paul said, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. My friends, is this Spirit active within you? Are you aware that the Spirit is speaking to you? Are you listening to the Spirit? Are you being intentional about bearing the fruit of the Spirit rather than giving in to to your flesh? Are you experiencing the empowerment of the Spirit that the Lord Jesus says, no, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm here, I'm with you. Be filled with the Spirit to help you overcome whatever is in front of you. Are you listening to that voice? Are you listening to the promptings of the Spirit today? And are you calling on the advocate, the parakletos, the one who comes alongside to help you as a disciple? My prayer for us, Grantham Church, is the same as the Apostle Paul who prayed this prayer in his letter to the Ephesian church. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a holy one because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Paul says in his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Say, I've got the power. Say that. I've got the power. You remember that old 80s song? (laughs) I've got the power. (laughs) Oh, snap, Jesse. Brothers and sisters, you've got the power. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And while you may feel that you're a a long way away from experiencing that power, every journey begins with a step. Would you move toward the Holy Spirit this morning who wants to help you, help you overcome? Finally, here are some questions to help us reflect on what we've heard and respond to the voice and the prompting of the Spirit. Number one, 
and, and prayerfully reflect on these, if you would. Ha- have you been trying to follow Jesus in your own strength? You say, well, I'm not sure. Well, you might ask yourself this. Have you called upon the Holy Spirit? What areas of your life do you feel stuck or discouraged? Obviously, the first thing we need to do before we can receive the help from the Spirit is to identify that, to confess that. Let's do that. Number two, will you pray and will you ask the Lord to empower you and to exhibit fruit, that is evidence of the Spirit, where you're lacking? You might just take a moment where you are. You've identified where it is. Um, You've identified what is lacking. You've identified where you're stuck. So just ask the Lord where you're at. Lord, give me, give me more of the Spirit. Give me more of the Spirit that I might exhibit the very person of Jesus in my body. And then lastly, number three. What has the Spirit been saying to you throughout this six-part series? Is there one thing? Can you at least pull out one thing? One thing emerge, rise above all the things you've heard. What is the one thing that you've heard the Spirit saying to you and that you can do in response to what you heard? Let's not just be brains on a stick. Let's embody the message of the good news. Amen? We are disciples. That's what disciples do. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us here this morning and everything that we have done. We know that you're with us. We know that you love us. It's through your Holy Spirit that Jesus is near to us, closer than a brother, closer than a friend even. You are God. Thank you, Lord, for your promise not to leave us as orphans, but to be with us forever, even to the end of the age. Lord, would you make that real for all of us this morning, that you love us, that your power and your strength is available to us, that greater is he that is in me, in us, than he that is in the world. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us your spirit. Help us to walk in it.